You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, let me ask you, do you have some anger issues in your life? This morning we're going to talk about anger and resentment, and so if you would, you've got a Bible. We're going to be looking at two primary passages, one in Ephesians and one in James. And uh, the scriptures are going to be on the screen as well, but I hope you could take these home and study God's Word throughout the week. You know, in culture, there is an increased manliness and approval for being angry. I mean, even in in, in the media, some of the most uh, recent movies that have come out, Black Panther, there's a a strong plot line where the villain, uh, Eric Killmonger, is got this anger issue. Uh, You think about even in in, uh, The Incredibles, little baby Jack-Jack. It blows up into fire. And so, well, the sad thing is, is some, some, that little baby Jack-Jack might just be the little baby in your home. You got some strong, strong anger stuff going on there. But you think about the Incredible Hulk or, or Thanos and the Avengers. There's this culturally uh, 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 kind of storyline of anger. And in the Jewish mindset, as we're going to look at in some of the ancient scriptures, Anger was categorized as a very corrosive, corruptive, dangerous, satanic, and demonic uh, emotion a lot of times associated with it. Anger can be used for good. It can be used for bad as well. But it's a very dangerous emotion we're going to be talking about today. So my question is, do you, how do you deal with anger? Do you stuff it? Do you seep it out? Do you spew it out? Or would you surrender it? To God. We just sang about surrender. Um, when it comes to stuffing it, that's repressing it, that's uh, clamming up, that's bottling. That's, you, the reality is, if you stuff your anger and your resentment, you're not going to get better, you're just going to get bitter. Some of you seep out anger and it leaks out, and you find out that uh, you, the argument that you're in is not really the argument that you're needing to have. You're arguing over something because there's a bigger problem below the surface. It's just the tip of the iceberg. If you're constantly rude or cranky and you've got undealt with anger, you likely seep out your anger throughout the week. Maybe there's family members right now. Maybe there's coworkers. Maybe there's neighbors. Maybe there's other believers or unbelievers that you're really angry at and you've got to learn how to deal with this anger. Or do you spew it? Uh, in our family, uh, you know, uh, we've, there's just been this, this pattern, and I think a lot of it is learned through learned behavior when you grow up. If you grow up in an angry household, uh, my grandfather would spew out his anger from time to time. My dad would, and I did, especially as a teenager. Uh, you see a lot of runaway teens. They spew out their anger, and they end up running away because they don't know how to deal with their anger. But the power and the truth is, is that when we surrender it, and we surrender our own lives, that there is uh, no power greater than the power of Jesus Christ. And when we learn to surrender our anger, God can use it for great good, and he can redeem it, and we can break every chain of bondage or anything that is formed against us. But some of you are in that, maybe you blow up, maybe you're a time bomb, maybe you're a hair trigger kind of personality. When something happens, it just sets you off. 
The Bible actually warns greatly about the dangers of anger and resentment, and that's what I want to talk to you about. There can be, the reality is there can be mental, physical, and uh, emotional dangers. A lot of autoimmune diseases are associated with built-up anger, unresolved conflict. Uh, I've talked to people uh, in the near past who've talked to me about ulcers that they have because in reality is, is they have stress, anxiety, worry, anger, resentment that's been undealt with. So we're going to look at not only the dangers, but how can we take steps forward to grow in our faith and deal with anger. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 20, I think one of the most profound passages in the Bible as it relates to anger is this one in James and another one in Ephesians. But it says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The idea is James makes a statement, and it's kind of proverbish. It's principled. James, uh, the book of James, James is the brother of Jesus. Um, James has been called by many New Testament scholars kind of the proverbs of the New Testament. It's about principled living. He's giving great advice He's actually helping navigate some cultural issues and church challenges with believers, arguing with other believers and getting into fights. And he makes that statement, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We're going to unpack that this morning. What does that mean? The first thing I just want to draw to your attention is that word produce. James makes a very clear statement, the anger of man does not produce And that word in the Greek literally means it doesn't work, it doesn't labor, it doesn't build. What does it not build? What does it not work? It doesn't work for righteous living. It doesn't build up a righteous lifestyle. It doesn't labor well to cultivate the righteousness of God. That word righteousness is not the idea of salvific righteousness, that you're declared righteous before God, but more in the sense of the sanctification of living a life that is holy and pleasing to God. In in, uh, chapter 3 of verse 18, James says, it talks about, uh, he uses that same word righteousness and calls it about the lifestyle of a harvest of righteousness in a sense that there's this fruitfulness in your life. I think James is telling us that in general, anger doesn't work well to build up a lifestyle that's righteous and fruitful. And you can't build your life on anger. You can't live a life that you think that you're going to be motivated and fueled by anger and live a life that's in harmony with God and with others. The Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is peace and patience. These are the very things that are, go, that are the solutions for anger. And Jesus is that Prince of Peace. Jesus is our, our joy. When we surrender to him, we're going to see that we, we, we live a better life. Additionally, the passage tells us in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, the Apostle Paul writes, and he gives some great insight and some great warning about anger. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's take that first phrase, be angry. He doesn't say don't be angry. He said be angry. So for all of you who have utilized anger to accomplish a lot of things, this is your proof text. 
This is the text that you can say, no, 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 no. The Bible does say that anger can, is, it doesn't say don't be angry. He just says, you could be angry, but do not sin. So is there examples of righteous anger from a biblical perspective? Absolutely there is. You have Jesus, who, by the way, upon his ministry, saw the corruption of, the, of, of Judaism at the time that was uh, peddling uh, the authority and the word of God and in creating all sorts of legalism and portraying uh, not the God of the scriptures. They had missed it. And so Jesus tells us in the gospel account of Matthew and in the gospel account of John, tells us that Jesus cleansed the temple. He walked in, saw everybody that was um, selling things and trying to, trying to make a profit off of, of the, the, the temple, turning the place of worship into a marketplace. But here's what I bet you didn't know. There's two uh, case studies uh, capturing where the gospel writers record Jesus going into the temple to cleanse the temple. And he throws over the tables. Uh, one account in the Gospel of John says that he braided a whip and drove people out of the temple. Here's what I bet you didn't know. The scripture tells us two detailed accounts that are different. And so what we see with Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry, he, we see anger being used in a positive sense to drive out and cleanse the temple. And then at the end of his ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, the same thing. So just to give the disclaimer, there is value in anger, but what Jesus did different than most people do, listen to me, he focused on the problem and not the person. The problem was, was the corruption of the religion of the day. And he went to the place, the temple, to do that. What is James saying? James would have spent a lot of time with Jesus. Uh, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Um, James's father was uh, Joseph. His mother was Mary. Uh, Jesus's father was God. And so he was the half-brother of Jesus. So he would have known and spent a lot of time with Jesus. So listen to me. James has a very great sense of credibility to speak on the subject of anger. He saw anger used for good, and he has seen it be used for evil. The danger that James points out, he says, be angry and do not sin. What he's implying there is it's pretty hard to be angry and not to sin. How many times in your anger do you say something you don't mean? How many times in your anger do you do something you wish you didn't do? James is telling us, be angry and do not sin. And then he goes on to give some clarification. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. But look at this next danger. He says, give no opportunity to the devil. The word devil in the Greek is diablos, and it means liar, slanderer, gossip. What the word opportunity means is literally, it's the idea of giving a position, a hold. In some of your translation, it says a foothold. James associates anger with giving the devil, in a sense, real estate of the heart. Giving a portion of your life to allow the devil to seep in, the liar, the slanderer, the gossip, to go into your life and take up some real estate there. So the reality is, is James is saying, give no opportunity in that 
idea in the Jewish mindset. D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, for those of you who like to read extra, D.A. Carson talks about the Jewish tradition saw that, that anger was predominantly a satanic and corruptive vice that destroyed and deteriorated the spiritual life. The idea here is that this de- the devil can take up a massive opportunity in your anger. Whatever gets you angry, be aware, be careful. There's an incredible danger that, that, that the scriptures tell us to, to watch out. Anger can oftentimes lead to resentment and bitterness. And the scripture, it can slowly build up to this boiling point. Some of you have grown up in angry households. Some of you create the angry households. And what the scripture tells us is, generally speaking, nothing righteous is produced by that. That's what James says. Hate can easily turn against yourself. When you get angry, you let that boil up. The reality is, is what's ironic, is that ends up destroying yourself. Angry people are ultimately angry at themselves and it turns in on themselves. Haters will end up hating themselves. The hate turns against them. Scripture tells us, here's the principle that I want you to walk away with is what we've reviewed so far is that anger is a God-given emotion. That's biblical teaching. That's biblical truth. Anger is a God-given emotion. Even Jesus got angry, but there is a right way and a wrong way to express our anger And to not deal with it correctly is very dangerous. If you don't deal with your anger, your resentment correctly, it's very dangerous. So here comes the question, how do I fix the anger and resentment that I have? I thought about it this week is what makes most people angry. And the reality is, is that what makes most people angry is not an issue or a problem, it's people. So let me ask you, do you have any crazy makers in your life? people that just drive you crazy. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's something that they do. But dealing with people that make you angry in a biblical manner, that's the goal of what we want to pursue here this morning. First thing I want to encourage you, according to Scripture, is I'm going to use idioms to help you capture biblical truth, is to keep short accounts. This has been a phrase that I've used over my life for many, many years. And the idea is found right there in the scripture, Ephesians 4.26. The uh, apostle James says, be angry and do not sin. And then he goes on to give clarification. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? That means that you need to uh, give your anger a time limit. When you're upset, when you're angry about something, in general sense, you need to deal with it before the sun goes down. Let's just take the, 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 the marriage relationship. You get into an argument with your spouse. You're frustrated. You're annoyed. You're angry about the situation. How do you deal with it? You should, in a biblical manner, try to deal with it as quick as you can. You should try to address it. At least let the anger cool down. Here's reality. Sometimes when you get into a, an argument or you have a significant we'll call it a kerfluffle. You have a, you have, you're just 
or you can call it on a spiritual sense and, and spiritualize it and call it intense fellowship with one another. What you can do is you can say, you know what? You can rehearse the foundational truths to make sure that there's, there's, there's some level of love and trust. You can say, I love you. I disagree with you. We don't have this settled. But I promise I will surrender this to God, and I'm in the process of doing that, but we need to get some sleep so that tomorrow morning we can go back at it. So, I mean, because here's the reality. Can you solve all your problems in maybe, what if you get into an argument 20 minutes before it's 10 o'clock at night and you have a 6 a.m. appointment? Well, you, you could stay up all night. You could do that, and you could take that in that literal passage and say, before the sun goes down. But you can also, I believe, that you can surrender it to God and say, the anger, I'm surrendering to God. I'm no longer angry at my spouse. I'm hurt, but I'm choosing not to be angry. And this is unresolved, but we will get this resolved. Or you can stay up all night long under biblical uh, understanding and you can work it out. And then you can go to your job like this with your eyes bloodshot and say, well, me and my spouse worked it out. And that's great. You, you could do either way. My point in saying is that the Bible teaches that you need to work it out. You need to keep short accounts. It's kind of like the pressure valve. If you keep short accounts and you deal with it, it's like, and you seek reconciliation, not retribution. When you seek uh, to resolve the issue, it's like allowing the pressure to, to release. And the longer you deal, you let it go unresolved, say you have a busy week, it will brew. You're giving an opportunity for the devil to take up residence. You as a Christian can be demonically oppressed, or you can be demonically influenced, but you, and you can be oppressed even as a believer, but you cannot be possessed because the spirit of Jesus Christ lives in you and he is greater than the devil. But... When James is writing, he's writing to believers. He calls them brothers, and he says, don't give an opportunity for the devil. And you need to work it out that day. Matthew 18 talks about the same kind of thing. Jesus gives instruction. When somebody sins against you, go and you deal with it right away. Some of you don't have short accounts. You have long accounts. And when you get into an argument with whoever, every argument turns historical. And it's this long history of offenses. And you know what that's indication of? Unresolved conflict. You didn't keep short accounts. You have an emotionally unhealthy lifestyle going on. So how do you deal with that? You keep short accounts. Number two, I like to say take a chill pill. Take a chill pill by giving it to God. You've heard that phrase. My, my kids often tell me, Dad, you need to chillax. It's Chill and relax at the same time. But take a chill pill by giving it to God. You say, well, how do I give it to God? This is perhaps the most, I think, profound truth that we find in Scripture as it relates to anger. The Apostle Paul says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you and along with malice. I want to talk to you about what it means to put away. To put away 
is exactly what it means to give it to God. It's exactly what I mean by surrendering it. Putting away, most of us don't put away anger. We put inside anger. We put it inside. We don't put it away. To put it away means literally it's the idea in the Greek that you pick something up and you move it over here. It's a physical word that expresses activity, that you put something away. And in reality, most of the time when we get angry, we take it and we hold on to it for a little bit and we carry around the burden or the bitterness of anger. Or even worse, we just open it up and we tuck it inside our hearts and we put it inside. And what the Apostle Paul says is to put it away. It's a very distinctive, a very active process. What would that look like as a believer? At least it could look like something like this. Heavenly Father, I give you my anger right now. I'm so frustrated. I'm so hurt. I feel so, I feel violated against. I feel unheard. I feel like my voice doesn't matter. Whatever be the situation, and you say, but I'm giving all this to you. And what we often do is take all that and then we don't deal with it correctly and either we, we stuff it or we seep it out or we spew it out. What the Bible tells us is that we need to surrender that. To put it away is the apostle Paul has in mind, it's putting it towards Jesus. Jesus has got a bigger back, stronger shoulders. He can carry the burden your bitterness won't get better if you put it inside. Your bitterness will turn better when you give it to Jesus. The idea of putting it away, the Apostle Paul is going to later, we'll come back to the uh, passage in Ephesians, but we're going to see he indeed has Jesus Christ in mind. Number three, you've heard it said before, put yourself in their shoes. How do you do that? By seeking to understand before being understood. How does that relate to the passages that I've looked at in Ephesians and James? Oh, so very clearly. James 1, 19 and 20. James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, that's believers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There's the word anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There's absolutely an association between being quick to hear, slow to speak, and anger. So what is it? Here's the reality. What James is telling us is that we need to put ourselves in the other people's shoes. We need to seek to understand before being understood. What does that mean? That means that we need to be, from a biblical standpoint, quick to hear. You won't be as angry so much if you listen to people. How many times have you got into an argument and you're angry and you think the person did that or that and then when you sit down and you actually talk to the person, you realize and you hear them out, you're like, oh, I didn't understand that. I didn't. Angry people are generally bad listeners and bad communicators. They don't listen. They don't listen. They don't listen to people. They don't listen very well to others. They talk too much. The Bible is filled with all sorts of descriptions of talking too much associated with foolishness, anger, all that. 
There's never instances in the Bible where it talks about those who are quick to hear or slow to speak or foolish. There's absolutely an association when you're a good listener and you're a good communicator, you will be slow to anger. At the end of the day, we, we find out that, man, we're, we're, we're on the same playing field. Everyone's sinned. Every single one of us. We have a lot more in common with the people that we're frustrated with than we think. And the reality is, is that the scripture tells us being quick to hear, slow to speak. To put yourself in other people's shoes means that you learn how to be a good listener. You're always eager to hear. You ask questions like, tell me more about that. I don't understand. Could you elaborate? Or you're slow to speak. Most of us are not slow to speak, especially when we're angry. We're quick to speak. And we make assumptions that aren't even true. Being slow to speak means that you bite your tongue, you hold back, you listen. This is for spiritual health, emotional health, physical health. Put yourself in other people's shoes. Seek to understand before being understood. Some of you, when you get into an argument or you get into a meeting, how about a meeting at work? And you see the person that constantly talks, constantly. They're just going off and off and off and off and off and off. And then there's a problem. And then you're like, somebody in the room's going, can we just get to the solution side of things? Can we just stop talking for a moment and pause and just try to work this out? You know, maybe it's in your home when you get into an argument and you're, one of you goes onto this rant and you just won't stop and you won't stop. The best thing you can do is slow down. Scripture says twice, James says, slow to speak. And then he gives the, we get the, 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 the next little comma, and then the next little phrase is slow to anger. There's absolutely an association with the way we communicate and the way that we listen to living the life that God wants us to live. You know, being a preacher, uh, since the time I was about, I guess, about 19, 20 years old, I, I talk a lot. And some of you go, yes, I know, Ryan, I meet with you. Um, and I thank God I have a wonderful wife who tells me, sweetie, she, whenever we're in a conversation, she'll put her hand on my knee and just say, quiet. Um, you know, recently I watched a television show. It was like a reality show with the police, and they're going out and doing these raids. And it'd be a drug bust or it'd be somebody's in a, a, being held hostage do you know what they have when they raid houses? They have a professional negotiator. When they're trying to bring out a hostage and he gets on the bullhorn. And do you know what I noticed in the show about this guy? Not only was he big and just a bad to the bone dude, but he got on the microphone and I hear him say, why are you doing this? And the guy shouts back, because I got kids and I got a family and I can't take care of them and this and this and this. And you know what the negotiator says? I got a family too. I got kids too. I hear you. We're listening. You see, what the negotiator knows is that if the other person feels heard, then he's able to move forward and negotiate. See, some of your negotiations aren't working right now, and here's the reason why, because you don't listen. And the other person doesn't think you listen. 
But if you can at least move through the motions and, and acknowledge, Lord, I'm by nature a bad listener. Help me to listen now. Then you're moving in the right direction. You want to fix what matters most? You need to look at your own life. You need to look at these areas that maybe have deteriorated, maybe for some of you destroyed relationships, anger and resentment. But Jesus Christ can break all that down in a moment and flood it in and give you the right heart, the right mindset and help you to hear, help you to be slow to speak. You've heard me say this many times, but we've used the idiom in American culture, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. The diablos is behind that statement. The liar, the slanderer, the gossip, that's not true. Sticks and stones hurt, but so do words. They destroy marriages. They break up relationships. They divide churches. They corrupt businesses. Fourthly, on a lighter note, I like to say this in my family is when people make you angry, just smile and wave. Not too long ago, we were on a, it was, it was a couple years ago, but we were uh, on our car trip, we were riding uh, in a car, and I, I probably cut somebody off on accident. They drive by, they honk their horn, they give me the bird. And um, my youngest daughter at the time, four or five years old at the time, says, Dad, uh, they don't look happy. And I said, no, they're just telling me I'm number one. Just smile and wave. Just smile. <laughs> Why do that? Well, the Bible tells us. Look what it says in Thessalonians. Seek that no one repays anyone evil for evil. I could have shot him the bird back. Then my daughter would say, what does that mean? They're number one. <laughs> now, the Bible tells us, seek that, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. When people cut you off in traffic, when you get angry, it doesn't do you good to try to get them back. That leads to my next point is don't engage the rage. Rage is a, a further demonic influence from anger. Anger can move from anger to rage if it's not dealt with. And you've seen this before in your life probably or at least in the life of somebody you know very closely. Rage can really destroy things. Proverbs says, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. You, you got to learn self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. You've got to learn how to hold back and take a time out, time out, if you're in an argument, you're really intense, and just breathe, pray, seek the Lord, bite your tongue, take a time out. People in traffic, I don't know, for some of you, you, you there's a lot of road rage. Uh, I don't get caught up in it. I mean, partially because I drive like a grandpa, and then I accidentally cut people off, so I'm the one creating the rage probably on accident. Uh, but I don't engage the rage. And let me just tell you, it's not a good thing to. Even with social media, you can see the social media, it turns into this big fight. 
Turn the computer off. Just shut it down. Who cares? Get away from it. It's not going to do you any good to engage that rage. Sixth point um, I want to share with you is this, is pray for the pain in your life. Pray for the pain in your life. That last little blank, pray for the pain in your life. That's what it is. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. That's probably been the most therapeutic thing I've done in my life with people that have hurt me is pray for them. And if the people that are still in your life that still create anger, maybe you haven't prayed long enough. Because when you pray for people over and over, it's easy to forgive them. Not easy, but it's easier to forgive them. But if there's somebody in your life that hurt you, my encouragement to you is pray for them every day until all that anger resides. It just goes away. Pray for them every day. Um, Jesus talked about praying for your enemies, blessing your enemies. So the life that a Christian lives is very different than the life that the world lives. Pray for those in your life. Here's the take-home truth. You can become the person who surrenders their anger to God because you belong to the one who surrendered everything for you. The closing passage in Ephesians is Ephesians 4.32. The Apostle Paul gives us some things, some statements. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I, I read this passage and I think, you know, Paul, it's not easy to be kind. It's not easy to be tender-hearted. It's not easy to be forgiving. Be, 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 be. Well, how do you be? You can only be because you belong. You can only be the forgiving person because you belong to the king who's forgiving. You can only be these things when you belong, when you realize your identity, that determines your activity. When we realize that we are forgiven people, it's easier to forgive. When we realize how the kindness of God, it's easier to be kind to others. When we realize the tenderheartedness of God, then it's easier to be tenderhearted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that it would uh, motivate us, encourage us, challenge us. I pray that, Lord, we would move out of here today and two things, that we would experience your forgiveness. Lord, where there's, where there's built up anger, resentment, hurt, Lord, I pray that we would experience that forgiveness and I pray as well that we would extend that forgiveness to other people. And Lord, maybe for the first time today, might you, the Spirit of God, invade this place and in the heart of these people and the men and the women and the kids in the room, if there's anger, might you invade that space and bring your peace and bring your blessing. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.